Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. that I called uh, being good is not good enough. Maybe you've been asked before why bad things happen to good people. Maybe you've heard of that question before or you've been asked that question or maybe you, you've asked yourself that question. Why bad? Why do bad things happen to good people? This question implies that good people exist, isn't it? This question implies that implies that you we do have good people out there. This question also implies that people should get what they deserve. By asking why do bad things happen to good people, you are assuming or you are implying that bad things should happen to bad people. And good people should live a good life. So good things should happen to good people and bad things should happen to bad people by asking that question. So by asking why do bad things happen to good people, you are implying that we do have good people on earth. Two, you are implying that bad things should happen to bad people. At least life should be fair. To answer the question why bad things happen to good people, we must also be able to define who is a good person? So that we can say, this guy, no bad thing should happen to him because he's good. So how do we define him? How do we define goodness? How do we know a good person? We should also try to find the origin of bad things. How do we define bad things? So if we define who a good person is, and we understand the origin of bad things, then we will be able to reconcile the two, bad things and good people. We can bring them together if we understand them. Most of us would refer to a law-abiding citizen, a nice person, or a philanthropist, somebody who gives money to charities or to good causes as a good person. That's how we define a good person, someone who does good things. He's a good person. You can call yourself a good person because you can look at your life and you see that you've been doing some good stuff. So you say, oh, I'm quite a good person because I've, look, I've given my money there. I've helped that person. I have, I'm kind of a good person. My, maybe my marriage is working or maybe, 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 maybe my children. No, you look at yourself and you can call yourself a good person. In short, we refer to someone who does good things as a good person. But God defines a good person as someone who has never done a bad thing. Do you see the contrast? When we define a good person, we see a person who does good things. When God defines a good person, he sees a person who has never done a bad thing. That's a good person. In God's eyes. Not someone who does good, but someone who has never done anything wrong. Oh, now stay with me because these things become now serious. By human standard, 
if your good deeds overweigh your bad deed, you are a good person. And most religion will teach you that. They will teach you, do more good than bad, so that your good can overweigh your bad. But by God's standard, even one mistake disqualifies you to be good. By God's standard, a good person never done, said, or thought of anything wrong. If you are here, please raise your hand. I have only one good person, my wife, my Miss Universe. You, you deserve her kiss for that. <laughs> when we compare our goodness or our being good to God's standard, we all fall short, including my wife. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. None of us can claim that they've never thought of or said or done anything wrong since they were born. None of us is good by God's standard. No one, no human being can stand before God and claim to be a good person. No person can stand before God and claim that I am good God. You know I am a good person. By our, our standard, someone who tells a lie only once a week is a good person. Someone who entertains lustful thoughts only once a month is a good person. Someone who curses their enemies only once a day is a good person. That's why we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Because we believe there are some good people out there. Because they only lie once a week. They're very good. Not only we ask the question that's why bad things happen to good people, but we also believe that there are some innocent children who never sinned. Children who never sinned and bad things happened to them. They were born with sicknesses and diseases and they, they die young. Why is life unfair? So let's go to the Bible again and try to answer this question. Why innocent good bad things happen to innocent people? In Genesis chapter 3, 11 to 19, it says, Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the, the tree? Whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The man replied, I was, it was the woman who gave me. You gave me, who gave me the fruit? And I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly. Groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her host's offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband. But he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. The ground is cursed because of you. All your life, 
you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and, thighs, uh, and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grain, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Nature was created perfectly. God created nature without thorns. Can you imagine? There was no thorn outside. Nature was created perfectly without bad bacterias, without sicknesses, without diseases. It was perfect out there. Human beings were created good in the eyes of God. Good with no mistake. We were created. Perfect. We were created. But when people decided to follow their own desires instead of God's command, when we decided to follow the voice of the enemy instead of the voice of God, we invented evil. And nature turned against us. And bad things started to happen. God did not create bad things. We caused bad things to happen as human beings. The Bible tells us that we, we are living in a fallen nature, fallen, a broken nature. This nature is fallen, is broken, is corrupt. That's why we have children who have never done anything wrong, born with sicknesses. Why? Because they we are living in a fallen nature. They didn't choose it. We didn't choose it. Bad things happen to innocent people. Why? Because from that day I've just read here, bad things started to happen. When people decided to listen to the enemy instead of listening to God, they opened the door to sicknesses and diseases. They opened the door to natural disasters. They opened the door to suffering of innocent children. Children and innocent people suffer not because they have sinned, but because they live in a fallen world. This is why Jesus did not come to make bad people good or good people better. Because even better version of human still falls short of God's glory. Even a better version of you is still a sinful version. So Jesus did not come to make us better people. He did not come to improve who we are. He came to make us new. And I will explain what it means. Let me explain this. Can people be good without Jesus? Can we find a good person without Jesus on earth? Before you say yes or no, let me tell you what, how we process the answer. God's standard is 100% mistake free. That's God's standard. That's God, who God is. He's holy. He's 100% mistake free. He does not make mistakes. God's standard implies making 100% right choices always and everywhere. 
Like within God's standard, everywhere you go, you will make only the right choices and the right decisions. Wow. That's God's standard. That's who he is. But his standard. God's standard is saying the right word, doing the right thing, and thinking the right thoughts always and everywhere. Am I making this clear? You think the right thought, you do the right thing, and you say the right thing everywhere and all the times. For thousands of years, thousands of years, before and after Jesus, no one has ever been able to live up to God's standard. No one on earth. Because of human fallible nature, no one can be good as per God's standard. And because of God's perfect nature, he cannot lower his standard to fit anyone. That's a problem now. None of us can live up to God's standard. And because he's, he's God, he's holy, he cannot lower his standard. God cannot allow mistakes so that you, he can fit you in. He will stop being God. If God begins to make mistakes so that we can feel comfortable around him, do you understand what I'm trying to say? He cannot lower his standard. He cannot start to begin to make mistakes so that we can feel comfortable around him because we look alike. No. He needs to remain holy and we cannot go there. So there was a gap between God's standard and our standard for thousands of years. People tried to reach God's standard. He tried to help us. Do this. Give animals a sacrifice. Live holy. Follow the rules. No one followed the rules. No one lived up to God's standard. In his nature, he's holy, which means 100% right, 100% true, 100% good. God is holy. What does it mean? Explain to me what holy means. It means you are 100% all the times right about anything. You are all the times good about everything. You are all the times true in everything you do. You say all you think of. That is nature. Even the best of humans cannot be 100% true, 100% right, and 100% good in everything, everywhere, and all the times. Even my mom wasn't. She's not. While she's the most perfect person I've ever seen, even my wife is not. She's the most holiest person I've ever met. But I don't believe she is holy. I've just said you are not holy, Beth. Only Jesus' life from his birth to his death was 100% right, true, and good in everything he said, did, or thought of. Jesus lived a righteous life from his birth to his death. Jesus lived 100% right, 100% true, 100% good in every aspect, everywhere, and all the times. Jesus filled the gap between God and, human, and humans. He was good enough and God enough to live a perfect life and human enough to endure temptation. So God, Jesus filled the gap. He's the only human beings who have lived up to God's standard. 
And he's the only God who has come to human beings and live with them. No one has debunked what Jesus said. No one has said it was a wrong statement. He called himself the truth. He called himself the truth. Not he knows the truth, but he is the truth. And no one debunked it. He lived up to God's standard. So we are going to talk about these three nouns, which make a big difference between those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. Maybe you've, or you've ever wondered that what difference do we have between following Jesus and not following him? What, does he, what difference does it make? If you ever wonder what would be the benefit of believing in Jesus, if you ever wonder what you have or don't have by accepting or rejecting Jesus, let me tell you what you don't have or what you do have by believing in Jesus. John chapter 14, 2 to 6 says, There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know that the way to where I'm going, you, uh, you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So let me take you through this so that you understand what you have. Jesus is the way. He called himself the way. I and only I am the way, not a way, the way. There is no other path to God than Jesus. It's only by following Jesus where you can get to the Father. So I'm, I want to make a point here. When we get saved, Jesus moves us from one lane to another. He is the way. That means he moves us from one way to another way. People who look at you can still see you driving with them. That's why people look at you. They still see you falling sick. They still see you going through struggles in your children, your finances, and issues in your life. What they don't understand is you are on a, in a different lane. What difference does it make? The end of the road is different. When Jesus moves you into his lane, you are still on the road. You can still face issues. You can still struggle. And people can say, oh, he's driving, I'm also driving. In fact, I'm even driving a better car than his. The big difference it makes is that his car will end up in fire. Your car will end up in heaven. Jesus moves you on his lane. It makes a big difference to know Jesus. We are still all on earth. We are still all driving. But it doesn't end there. Jesus shows you the way. He is the way. You are following him. He gives you a GPS. The Holy Spirit telling you, turn left, turn right. Turn left, turn right. And the Bible is available for you. All the signs on the road are represented in the Bible. We don't just travel, navigate this life blindly. 
We have Jesus as our way. We have the Holy Spirit as our GPS. We have the Bible as our road sign, road map. We are not alone. Having Jesus is completely different than not having him. Jesus called himself the truth. He called himself the truth. Psalm 119, 142 says, Your righteousness is everlasting and your law is true. When Jesus claimed to be the truth, there is no record or anyone who has claimed that before. I am the truth. Muhammad did not say that. When, before Buddha died, he said, I'm still searching the truth. Jesus did not say, I know the truth. He said, I am it. I am the truth. Why? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophet. I came, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus lived a truth as a truth on earth. He is the truth. He is the word. He is the word of God. He fulfilled the law. He, he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the truth himself. What that means is when you believe, when you hear about Jesus, not just you hear about the truth, but you have the truth. In every human mind, there is a search for truth. In every human heart, there is search for truth. You can ignore it. You can dismiss it. But in every heart, there is search for truth. And you will never find truth until you know Jesus. You can know science. You can have facts without the truth. Jesus is the truth. He called himself life. When he was talking about his death, he, he reminded his disciples that he is the source of all life. In John 14, 19, he said, because I live, you will also live. You know, <laughs> if God did not spare Jesus, he's not going to spare you and I. God is not going to lower his standard because you and I fell short. God's standards is holiness, zero sin. But God has descended to us to build a bridge between him and us. And this is the most important part of the gospel. God did not lower his standard to fit us in. He rather descended to us to raise us to his standard. That, import, that is very important. That is very important. Jesus came. He lived with us. He died to take all God's wrath upon himself. He did not leave any punishment for every lie, for every fornication, for every anger, for every sin, for every sin, Jesus was punished. For every sin. There is no sin Jesus was not punished for. So that all your sins can be covered. So when you believe in Jesus, he imparts his righteousness upon you. 
Which means, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at your mistakes anymore. He looks at Jesus' holiness. When God looks at you, who has, who you have Jesus Christ, God does not look at your sins anymore. He now looks at Jesus in you. And he sees you as a righteous person. Righteousness is not what you do. It's who you are in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. Righteousness is a gift from God. We receive it. When you say, Jesus, I invite you in my heart, you receive God's righteousness, which means right stand with God. So someone who does not have Jesus, it doesn't matter how many good things they will do. They are still sinners for that one mistake. But someone with Jesus, and this is not a green light to make mistakes. Why? Because Jesus is the way. If you follow him, your life will look like his. When you receive Jesus in your heart, Jesus Christ reflects his righteousness to God. Oh, I, how I wish you can get this. In God's eyes, you are not a sinner anymore. In God's eyes, you don't make mistakes anymore. In God's eyes, you are good. In God's standard, you are now good, perfect in his eyes. Why? Not because of you, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus imparts his righteousness upon you. That's what salvation means. That is what Jesus brings to us. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. Billy Graham said this. One third of Matthew, of the book of Matthew, one third of the book of Mark, one half of the book of John is dedicated to the death of Jesus. While in the book of Life of Abraham Lincoln, 5,000 pages, even though Abraham Lincoln was dramatically assassinated, there are only 25 pages given to his death. Only 25 pages. Why? Because his death is not important. The death of Abraham Lincoln does not change anything. But Jesus' life in John is given half of the book. Jesus' death. Half of the book. Why? Because his death is all we need. His death is the center. Is the essence of Christianity. He died and rose again. For your sins, for my sins. Why? He is the only way. The only truth. The only one who gives life. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. And, and this is will be, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost done. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. So you have it already. If you have believed in the son, you have eternal life. It's already granted. You will live eternally. Whoever, that means anyone Anyone, if you are from UK like me, anyone, if you are from France, if you're from Japan, whoever, 
including my friend from Australia here. We all have eternal life if we believe in Jesus. However, whoever does not receive Jesus, God's wrath is upon, not will come upon them. This is important because we think of God's wrath as something that will happen. And I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying, not only will happen, it's already upon them. You know why? Because of the fall. Because of what happened in the past. If you reject Jesus, you're under God's judgment. We can, we can translate that word, that Greek word, differently. We are still, if without Jesus, the person is still under judgment. It doesn't matter which car they drive or which house they live in. How many holidays they go to. It doesn't matter how famous they are. It doesn't matter what they do. Without Jesus, God's judgment is upon them. Without Jesus. And that judgment is removed only when we accept the way, the truth, and the life. That's wh when the life of God come upon us, when we receive Jesus, when we accept Jesus, the Spirit of God brings that life in us. It happens instantly. It happens in a second. You don't need days to receive the Spirit of God. You don't need hours to receive the life of God. It's only when you accept Jesus, you confess it with your mouth, you receive it in your heart, you receive the life of God. And God's wrath is removed upon your life. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means there's no wrath. There's no judgment upon those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have Jesus, be confident. There's no, con there's no condemnation upon your life anymore. There is a big difference between those who know Jesus and those who don't. Or who don't. Be confident you have something the world doesn't have. Jesus did not come to make us better. He came to make us new. So because he's the only path to heaven, he's the only true measure of righteousness and the source of both physical and spiritual life, there is a big difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not. Being good is not good enough. Jesus is the way. Follow him. Jesus is the truth. Believe him. Jesus is the life. Receive him. Let's bow our head. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.